In our seventh episode of the Poo and A series, GP Paresh Dorda and IBD clinician and researcher Dr. Aviv Pudapedi will discuss relapse for people with IBD. Join Paresh and Aviv as they look at treating the whole person's mental, physical and social health and ways to prevent and treat relapse. My name is Aviv. I'm a gastroenterologist working at Concord Hospital and Sydney Adventist Hospital, uh, currently in the final stages of completing a PhD, looking at some of our medications in inflammatory bowel disease. And I'm a clinical lecturer with the University of Sydney. Thank you, Sam Paresh. I'm a GP based in Canberra. Also have a couple of academic affiliations with the University of Canberra and UNSW as well. And then I do various pieces of advisory work with the New South Wales Agency for Clinical Innovation and New South Wales e-health, editor-in-chief of BMJ's Integrated Healthcare. This is, of course, about managing complex patients and relapse and comorbidity in people with inflammatory bowel disease. We really wanted to look at that importance of identifying and managing relapses. We want to think about other medications patients may use, particularly illicit drugs, and how that adds to complexity and how we can look at managing that. Finally, we want to be looking at the psychosocial needs of patients with inflammatory bowel disease. We had three patients. We had Emma, and you may recall we previously met her. She was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in her teens. She's now 33 years old, happily married, and has a four-year-old daughter. Emma comes to you to your GP clinic complaining of bloating, diarrhea, abdominal pain and cramping, an urgency to defecate, and she's quite lethargic. She recently had a flu vaccination, and she's concerned that she might have triggered a flare of her ulcerative colitis, and she's come to you seeking some advice about what the next step is. So you appropriately order some investigations. So you've got some blood test results there. Her C-reactive protein is normal. Her full blood count and liver function tests are normal. She's undergone some stool testing, confirming that she does have watery bowel motions, but there's no blood, no evidence of white cells, and her testing really has come back negative from a culture point of view. So Paresh, I might ask you, if Emma was coming to see you with these symptoms and you've done those investigations, what's your suspicion and clinical decision based on these results? Yeah, thanks, Harry. So look, obviously, a lot of these symptoms are non-specific, and so I think it's right to have a level of concern around a, a flare and a colitis being triggered. I have to say, on the basis of the pathology results, things are really pretty reassuring. And, and you know, may, maybe this isn't a flare-up of inflammatory bowel disease. Maybe it's another coincidental condition. Maybe she's got gastroenteritis. I, I would be perhaps thinking about having a conversation with her around what the results show, what, what to do and how to manage that and the safety netting around what to do if her symptoms don't settle down. Yeah, no, fantastic. I agree. Um, certainly these testing thus far is quite reassuring. Some things I like to do is to use a fecal calprotectin as a nice non-invasive way of thinking about whether there could be any inflammation within the bowel. So just having a look, if you've got a copy of the last colonoscopy result, if it was quite recent and it looked like she was in remission, the likelihood of a flare so quickly after a colonoscopy that showed remission is less likely. So there's a few different tools that you could consider thinking about to use to sort of gauge your level of concern and having a discussion with the treating gastroenterologist as well, if there were any concerns. Absolutely. But based on these testing, I agree, it's all reassuring thus far. I might move on to Fred. So Fred, you might recall an elderly gentleman with comorbidities, um, so cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and chronic kidney disease. And he's come to you 
with a number of symptoms, including rectal pain. He's got abdominal cramping. Um, he's found blood in his stool motions together with intermittent diarrhea. He's getting some element of incontinence and he's losing weight. He's lost six kilograms in the last three months. So Paresh, if Fred came to you with these symptoms, what clinical decision would you make based on his presentation and how would you go about referring him on from here? Uh, thanks, Aviv. I think Fred's got some alarming symptoms with the weight loss, with the blood in the stool. Could be a flare-up of his inflammatory bowel disease, but given his age and his sort of comorbidities, I'd also be you know, concerned about other diagnoses such as carcinoma and a cancer. So would really want to get on top of this quickly and get some investigations early. There's a number of ways we could look at this. You know, I think he needs a specialist opinion quickly, really. And so it would be a matter of calling the gastroenterologist having a discussion and a dialogue and seeing how quickly we can get him in to, to, to see one of your colleagues, really. If he was really, really unwell, you know, might consider even sending him to an emergency department. It's that responsive, speedy investigation is what we're after here. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, he certainly does have alarm symptoms in an elderly gentleman, lots of potential diagnoses, and it really comes down to you know, we're more than happy for GPs to pick up the phone, give us a call, and we can gauge how quickly we can see them or get them into some form of investigations. And if there are concerns about delay and, and particularly with his medical status, absolutely potentially sending him into the emergency department of your closest hospital. I really think it comes down to investigations, starting off with pathology, imaging, colonoscopy, really, and then depending upon what's going on, you could really then dictate therapy from there. I think it's a bit hard to treat anything without knowing what's going on at this stage. Would you agree with that, Paresh? Yeah, look, absolutely. I don't think we can do any definitive treatment until we know what's going on. If he was in a large degree of pain, then we may think about some symptomatic treatment and management uh, pending further investigations. But certainly nothing definitive. Perfect. So Daniel, he presents to you with diarrhea. He's opening his bowel six times a day. He's febrile with a temperature of 39.2. Uh, nausea, vomiting, he's dehydrated and lethargic. He complains of abdominal pain with cramps. He's also developed mouth ulcers. He's got blood in his stools and he's lost a significant amount of weight. And this is a patient who's got a known history of non-adherence and he's had repeated emergency department presentations. So Paresh, if he came to you with these symptoms, what clinical decision would you be thinking about and, and what would you do going on from here? Yeah, look, thank you. In the context of what we know about the non-adherence, the repeated ED uh, presentations, and the mix of symptoms he presents with, I'd be really concerned about a flare-up here of his inflammatory bowel disease. And what we really want to be doing is working with Daniel to try and engage him with the service and keep him engaged, as well as getting on top of his current relapse very, very quickly. The shape that takes may vary depending on the conversation with Daniel. It may range from myself trying to treat the flare-up uh, in consultation with the gastroenterologist and you know, doing that whilst Daniel's in the room because we know the risk of him coming back is low. So act on it quickly whilst he's in the room, get some advice if I needed it and try and get, get on top of it. And then I think try and get that proactive follow-up happening and put in place ways of, you know, reminding him to turn up for his future appointments and really try and get him 
re-engage with services. I agree. I agree. I mean, certainly it does warrant urgent investigations. But as you said, we've got to take into account his history of non-adherence and working with him and ensuring that element of rapport is there with Daniel. Fantastic. So I guess when we think about inflammatory bowel disease and, and the form of relapse, people can have varying symptoms from time to time. And that might be suggestive of a mild to severe disease phenotype with a flare. But we've got to remember that symptoms that people have may not always correlate with what's actually happening within the bowel. So some people may not have many symptoms, but there could be significant inflammation when you do objective testing and vice versa. Some people may have a variety of different gut symptoms that may not be reflective of disease inflammation. And that's where using objective markers is really important, whether that's in the form of blood tests, such as a C-reactive protein, or using a fecal calprotectin where possible, um, I think is a, is a nice non-invasive way of really demonstrating whether there is any inflammation or, or not. And these markers, the, the CRP, and in particular the calprotectin, is quite a useful predictor for clinical relapse and disease progression. So certainly something that's, that I encourage GPs to use uh, when required. As I said, please do pick up the phone to your friendly gastroenterologist, give them a call, see if they can be seen quickly. Or if you have access to a specialist IBD center, that's another avenue as well to think about. Um, making sure you're engaging patients in the whole process, making them aware of what your plans are. Um, and having that element of shared care planning is really important. All right. So turning our attention to this concept of the known and the unknown, which is really some patients who use illicit drugs or complementary and alternative medications and how we sort of manage that in the consultation room. So we'll turn back to Daniel. During Daniel's time in the practice, the practice nurse strikes rapport, has got a gentle and encouraging conversation with him, with him, and he mentions that he's been struggling with anxiety, he's not doing well in college, he's wanting to build muscles, and was trying to keep up with his friends who were going to the gym quite a lot. You've got to recall a lot of our patients are young adults and they've got these other coexisting elements of their lifestyle that they want to try and meet. And look, the doctor now suspects that the high-protein meals probably contributed to an active disease and flare. Also, Daniel mentions to the nurse that he and his friends go out partying on weekends and he's starting to use illicit drugs, typically marijuana, and he has experimented with other party drugs to help his anxiety. So Paresh, I might ask you, if Daniel came to you with these different issues, how would you structure your conversation and investigate his use of high-protein foods and illicit drugs? So we want to maintain this rapport with Daniel and not put him off by being too questioning or appearing judgmental. I think the approach is really around taking a very open sort of dialogic conversational approach to this and gently prodding to see how much information he's willing to, to give and share. And I think for me, my priority at this stage would be about engaging with him, connecting with him, making sure he feels comfortable enough to come back and see me and talk to me. And then just that gentle inquiry around some of his behaviours. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think the number one issue is to try and ensure you've established that element of rapport, not being judgmental and trying to include him as much as possible into the conversation about how you take things further. Absolutely. When, when we're looking at diets and the different sort of weight management approaches, people with inflammatory bowel disease can have consequences of undernutrition, but also overnutrition. I think that balance and supportive diets uh, can really help symptom management. So it's certainly something we should be encouraging. Sometimes it's exclusive enteral nutrition. You know, that's a multidisciplinary sort of guided decision that teams will often take. We talk 
broader earlier around sort of mental health issues. And I think, again, disordered eating and, and, and issues in relation to that and the comorbidity with inflammatory bowel disease is increasingly recognized and perhaps a bit of an emerging issue. When we think about illicit drugs and inflammatory bowel disease, it's an increasing problem and it's something we need to be aware of. That illicit drug use seems to be more of an issue in younger patients, may be associated with comorbidities around mental health, but you know, I don't think it's exclusive to that group. I think certainly in primary care, as, as GPs, we need to sort of normalize and create that safe space for people to have conversations with us around the other things with illicit drugs. If patients feel like they can't talk to us, they won't tell us, but that activity still carries on, right? Sometimes uh, patients will use the illicit drugs either to suppress the symptoms or for pain management. So it, it may be that it's, it's under treatment that's leading to some, some of that illicit use. The two are obviously deeply interconnected. When we're thinking about anxiety and mental health, you know, there's, there's high rates in people with inflammatory bowel disease, just as there are in people with any chronic disease. You know, we see higher, higher rates of anxiety and depression. And, and he came to see our practice nurse. She'd managed to elicit that Daniel was using marijuana as a coping strategy. The GP really hadn't addressed the issue of why. Daniel's now left college and is no longer able to access a counsellor at college. His GP suspects he'd benefit from psychological services. We could ask Daniel to see how he's managing, to see how he's coping, really to manoeuvre that conversation in a constructive and a, in a healthy way. And, and, and in my experience, I think it's, you know, examples of good questions are those open questions, you know, simple things like, how are things going, Daniel? Giving him opportunity and space to, to talk. You know, what are you up to now? You've left school, college. Uh, it's another example. Is there anything you're missing about school? Uh, that might elicit the response around the, the school counsellor not being there. What, what is he looking forward to? What are his career aspirations? What's stopping him from achieving that? Um, how are you feeling about your condition? Do you feel in control? Uh, do you feel in control of your emotions? So those sorts of open questions, exploratory inquiry type of questions, I think can help us really understand the context of the person, particularly in relation to their mental health. And, you know, the stats speak for themselves, don't they? So a third of patients with inflammatory bowel disease is likely to have a mental health condition at any given time. It doesn't matter whether it's ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And we know that when people present with the flare-up, that percentage doubles. It goes up to 66%. So it has a big impact on, on, on flares. When we look at a, that younger cohort of patients, the rates are higher. And we, you know, we're often not diagnosed, so uh, it's being unrecognized. And we know from research which demonstrates that that increased risk of depression is up to 25%. And that leads to worse adherence and therefore treatment outcomes in young people with inflammatory bowel disease. I think as GPs, we probably play a really critical central role in the early identification, diagnosis and management of psychological comorbidity 
in people with inflammatory bowel disease. And, you know, we don't have to manage it all ourselves, including psychologists, dietitians, as members of that inflammatory bowel disease management team, together with the gastroenterologists, et cetera, as part of multidisciplinary care team. I think when we look at young people, what we really want to be focusing in on is building the health, health literacy, their knowledge, their skills, their confidence to start to engage in looking after their, their own health. We certainly see it a lot of the time for our patients because end of the day, the medications that we do use, a lot of them are designed to suppress the immune system and do have potential side effects. Um, so it's really, firstly, as we've discussed, being open non-judgmental and trying to explore that anxiety and try and find out exactly which side effects they're particularly concerned by. Um, for some people, if they've got good health literacy, discussing some of the evidence, some of the data regarding those side effects and the relatively uncommon nature in which they, a lot of them do occur. Um, and then also trying to marry that up with their current gut symptoms and the inflammation and and trying to have that discussion about benefits and risks, and I guess some of the risks of not treating with effective medical management comes into play. So I think it's, you know, you, you need to set time for this. Um, it's certainly a conversation that I don't like to rush through, and I want to explore the patient's feelings as much as possible and try and work with them to try and overcome some of that anxiety as best as possible. So I think it's for patients who do have that coexisting um, sort of mental health concerns for people who do have access or do see a psychologist, certainly involving them where possible, I think is really important and trying to bring in that multidisciplinary aspect of IBD care to assist with that, that anxiety, because it's all well and good for us as gastroenterologists to say, here, take this, you'll be great. But on the flip side, if you're a patient, I'm sure many of them, as we've seen, do have concerns and it's trying to get into their shoes and trying to help them through that journey when it comes to some of the medications that we use. Thank you. This podcast series is produced by AgPal as part of a consortium with Crohn's and Colitis Australia and the Gastroenterological Society of Australia as part of an Australian government grant. This is the seventh episode in our first series of Poo and A. For more resources, including a suite of e-learning modules and live e-workshops, head to the Crohn's and Colitis Australia GutSmart website. Follow the link in the podcast description. We support GPs in diagnosing and treating IBD and assist patients to get the support they need from a gastroenterologist to live their best lives with the significant lifelong condition. If you like this podcast, please help us by leaving a five-star review and sharing the podcast with other healthcare professionals. Smell you later.